I've got just a few news articles this week uh, or this meeting. Um, not a ton. It's been a relatively slow news cycle for UAS right now. Um, but one of them was uh, one Dave posted up on our Facebook page, which was uh, from Vic Moss, uh, Hobby versus 107 Unscrambled. Um, so he goes into quite a bit of depth here on these. Uh, on the differences, uh, kind of breaking it out, uh, making it a little easier to understand. Um, it's not a terribly long article, but it kind of hits the high points of the differences between Hobby and 107. Um, so I am going to drop that in here. Uh, definitely a good read, and Vic uh, definitely knows what he's talking about. Um, he's been a big advocate for uh, UAS, uh, generally on the commercial side, but uh, definitely uh, on the entirety of the issue. Um, <clears throat> definitely somebody uh, who we respect and uh, who has a great background in the industry. Uh, second to that is a little bit of a fun one. This comes from uh, Drone DJ, but uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson had NERC on um, StarTalk uh, talking about uh, the uh, how the brain uh kind of compensates for speed um and he talks to both nurk and to a nascar driver um regarding you know the differences between them uh so that was a really good episode it was only 15 minutes long uh definitely a quick watch um oh, yeah, i'll have to watch to that see. i assumed that was like a rerun of his previous original one, one where he yeah, was flying was around in his office yeah, so this one's a, a definitely a new one. He's comparing the differences of going essentially 90 miles per hour with a drone versus 200 miles uh, per hour uh, on the NASCARs. Um, so and just uh, like a lot of drone pilots, they only turn left. Right. <laughs> <laughs> turn left, go fast. <laughs> so definitely an interesting watch. Uh, I do highly recommend it. Um, let's see. I had another one here. Where'd it go? Shoot. Um, we all saw up above, uh, Patrick Egan, um, did, uh, two articles, uh, on SUAS news, one regarding the AMA and, uh, their, their, Essentially, uh, funding and advocacy and stuff like that. Uh, second one was on the FAA UAS Symposium uh, and Avusi uh, regarding some of the interesting, you know, money behind the the uh, meetings and and whatnot. So he poses some interesting questions down at the bottom. Um, so. Um, New regulation for the hobbyist. What does it cost? How is it administered? What about expiration? Um, any ideas why the education instead of enforcement program hasn't worked? Uh, what other types of data does the FAA believe it needs? Uh, where is it cataloged? Um, how is it going to be certified? So on and so forth. So yeah. Egan, um, is, uh, Egan is a pretty good uh, distribution, but we have to be uh, careful and, and vet what it is that he says. Yeah. So um, just a couple of interesting articles. Again, kind of a slow week uh, in terms of uh, 
news. Um, there were a couple other ones where they were using drones to uh, pollinate flowers using bubbles and, and pollen in absence of bees. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it's really kind of slow. Uh, I kind of wanted to dedicate some of the time to the Drone Advisory Committee meeting uh, that Dave uh, attended. Uh, I've watched a fair portion of it. I haven't gotten through all of it yet. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on the DAC meeting? Um, well, th this is... Um, uh, I spend a lot of time uh, dedicated to the Drone Advisory Committee probably approaching 20 hours a week. And we, um, uh, everyone, and so we do not have a seat on the DAC. Uh, there is a, um, uh, an open uh, nomination that will close in August. So uh, I'll be applying, we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, this is um, my fourth and fifth uh, tasking group that we've worked on. And one of the, uh, the questions is, well, you know, what's happened and you know what's been the benefit of uh, of spending this sort of time and this sort of energy uh on the drone advisory uh committee and so far it's a it's a good question because we've uh, uh i spent time on the remote uh identification um, uh tasking group that was uh, submitted in october that was ignored uh, uh with the n p r m uh, I spent time on the uh, UAS facility program. That will remains to be seen. The FAA will be responding in October uh, on in terms of what they'll do uh, in terms of the recommendations that we put forward. We recommended that the um, the UAS facility maps be split. So where with where they have a, uh, one degree by one degree, it'd be half a degree by half a degree on the grid. So that would be four squares where there is currently one. Uh, we also recommended shielded operations and uh, pointed how it is uh, referenced, how it is working in New Zealand. Thank you, Bruce. Um, we've we also, um, I led uh, a subgroup underneath the BVLOS um, <clears throat> and presented both the uh, facility maps and the C2 um, spectrum uh, subgroup on uh, 27 February 2020, and we were very critical of the FAA uh, not working with the FCC, uh, not protecting spectrum for uh, aviation use, uh, particularly uh, UAS use that uh, has been allocated. Um, and then uh, most recently, what was presented uh, last week was um, the summary of uh, unmanned traffic management, and it was a set, it was a critique or a review of the CONOPS version 2, which is a, re a requirements document for unmanned traffic management. So uh, we were able to uh, get some uh, changes uh, or some recommendations into that. Uh, most notably, um, we pushed for manned aircraft participation in the UTM uh, to be voluntary. Uh, they, the, there were several groups that wanted no participation whatsoever. They wanted nothing to do with uh, UTM. And we were uh, able to uh, create a, a bit of a coalition and, and gain everyone's agreement. And one of the uh, strange 
bedfellows that we were able to uh, work with was NACTA. It's the uh, air traffic controller organization. And so they want to be able to have access to uh, UTM information. And, and, and I think that's frankly great because that, that uh, helps us. Um, the other was that uh, not only in the UTM, <clears throat> but also in the uh, safety culture, excuse me, tasking group, we put forward and gained agreement on the idea of proportionality uh, between regulations and risk. And so on the safety culture tasking group, the objective of that tasking group is identify how we can take the, the great safety culture of manned aviation and uh, move it over to UAS. And of course, it should be you know, move over all that is applicable. Uh, some of the folks are uh, very excited to carry over all uh, aspects of uh, uh, safety culture in uh, manned aviation, uh, including things like the safety management system, SMS, and its four pillars, uh, lots of detail. Um, and so we are, we have gained agreement uh, in the, uh, that was what was presented last week, <clears throat> that there must be a proportionality to the uh, regulations and to the risk. And we have um, again and again pointed out that in manned aviation back uh, 70, 80 years, uh, regulations as well as manufacturer en uh, enhancements have come about uh, at the after uh, huge tragedies, uh, loss of life, big accidents, uh, hundreds of people uh, died, and a change was made to the regulations or uh, manufacturers figure out, figured out how to do things better. And we have uh, pointed out again and again that if we, if we were to measure the uh, efficacy of safety as fatalities, then drones are the safest um, uh, hobby hobby safest recreation and in terms of um, part 107 in the United States uh, this the safest uh, vocation um, that we know of with zero fatalities and it was very nice that uh, Brendan brought that fact up during the live DAC meeting last week yeah, yeah. for sure Brendan Schulman is uh, works um, uh, for uh, recreational and for commercial drones uh, in many many different ways and uh, uh, we're uh, lucky to have uh, an advocate like him. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he is a, a Harvard attorney. And so uh, he's, uh, he's, he's got deep skills and uh, we appreciate him a lot. And he's, uh, he's got a good approach. And that, um, uh, there was another uh, brief segue from the DAC. Um, we pointed out a, a panel where a young woman by the name of Sam Sachs, S-A-C-K-S, put forward the idea that um, legislation like uh, House uh, Bill 4753, which stipulates a country of origin uh, view, uh, meaning that if there, uh, the, the legislation essentially says for a bind and fly drone produced in China, it won't be sold to a federal agency or, and uh, no federal funds may be used uh, to purchase uh, the drone. And so this legislation passed the House on 10 February 
and is likely to come up in the Senate uh, this fall. And if it does not pass the Senate, there is an executive order that mirrors uh, the legislation almost exactly, and that will probably be signed into place. So um, this uh, Sam Sachs <clears throat> put forward the idea that that type of legislation creates a fragmentation in innovation and a fragmentation and a uh, slowing of innovation. I think that's a great uh, premise and one that we will uh, be putting forward in our overall uh, congressional campaign and as we uh, ask folks to uh, uh, to take uh, uh, do a little copy and paste and send to their uh, congressmen and senators, congresswomen, uh, who are on the um, uh, transportation subcommittees. But that's a segue, brief segue off uh, into another topic. But the, the DAC uh, um, was as, as we expected, no additional tasking groups. And so the on the safety culture, we continue forward. Uh, thank you to everyone here who responded to the uh, survey I put together. We are, uh, I'm presenting that to uh, my subgroup uh, tomorrow. Um, and it's a pretty uh, uh, pretty knowledgeable uh, group on the uh, on the subgroup that I'm leading. We've got uh, Boeing and BNSF uh, and Alpa and AOPA uh, and Dallas Police um, and a couple others. And Is so, it too late uh, to fill out that survey still? Um, it's get, getting a little late. If uh, someone wants to uh, add comments, I'm uh, happy to. Uh, uh, to update the numbers and uh, also be keenly interested in any uh, comments. I, I did get um, uh, the the folks on the uh, FPVFC uh, Facebook group should be uh, uh, pleased. They uh, created uh, uh, almost as many comments as we got from uh, the Rotor Riot group. And of course, they have 33.4 thousand uh, subscribers. And uh, together, we um were had more than 10 separate commercial um uh drone uh facebook groups so interesting that uh uh our recreational teams uh take the, are taking regulation a little bit more seriously so <clears throat> welcome the comments welcome additional votes i'll uh, i'll it's easy for me to uh uh, update the uh, uh, the numbers. Josh, do you have that link handy, or Dave? Uh, for the uh, survey? Yeah. yeah. Let me grab that real quick. Can't seem to find it at the moment. That's okay, I got it. Let's see. Uh, yeah, if you grab the, uh, the one that we have on... Uh, on Google Forms, that uh, that will automatically update. I won't have to go out and... Okay. We don't so want to make you do of, any extra work. Well, <laughs> just at the last minute. <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I just want to know which, get which one I have to go look here. Give me one second. Any questions or comments? I mean, I'll, and I apologize for the um, uh, alphabet and abbreviation soup. And that's one thing that uh i you know coming from global tech i'm very accustomed to living in a in an environment where you have to quickly learn a new vocabulary of abbreviations and acronyms and 
certainly uh, the FAA is uh, the same type of uh, environment. So I apologize if uh, uh, some of that was, uh, some of what I said was not understandable given all of the abbreviations and acronyms. That's tough when two different groups use the same acronyms for different things and <laughs> you start to get confused. Yeah. Yes. Seeing it in the folder. Hang on, I'll grab it from Facebook. That's that's where I went to look for it. And it's like, I can't find it. I know it's out there, <laughs> but Facebook likes to hide things. Once you've seen it, you'll never see it again. Right. <laughs> Down the memory hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't use the 105, 205, 305, 405. Yeah, no, 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 I won't use those. I'm curious and if anybody me. here has questions about the DAC or how many of you watched it live or have watched the replay since then? So I've watched most of the replay. Um, I kind of skipped to some of the highlights. I, I found the, you know, they they did talk about the two subjects. I found the questions in between, um, probably more a little a little more engaging and informative. Um, <clears throat> there was a gentleman. Uh, I've got it pulled up here. I'm trying to. Uh, I think Bruce. it was uh, Mark Colburn, or yeah. Colborn. Um, Colburn. He's the yeah. colonel in colonel in the uh, Dallas police. He's a ah, so he pilot. was the one asking some pretty relevant questions about um, transponder, like uh, basically implementation of remote ID. I don't want to say transponders, yeah. but um, and he kind of summarily got shut down by Jay Merkel. Um, right. But yeah, the uh, DJ and looking at the notes here, uh, the DJI guy was Brendan Schulman. Agreed. Great guy. Uh, and he so, was one of the only people that were there that was actually also in the YouTube comments and writing back and forth with people, which I thought was great. Oh. Good. I'll keep that. I like the Lane Chow's performance. Astounding. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, all those, all those manned drone flights around the U.S. Ooh. right now. Maybe she knows Ooh. something we don't. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Not Bruce, you do your know survey, that. You do know, Dave. yeah, Bruce, Bruce. You do know who uh, Elaine Chow's husband is. That's the um, majority leader of the United States Senate. Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. It seems like if you have the helicopter folks, like for example, the one you cited earlier especially on the police side that are constantly over large urban areas, you know, they're going to be pretty low to the ground. Those folks might be common allies if you're trying to get more buy-in to UTM, at least voluntary. I'm sure they would love to have some sort of equipment in their, their helicopter to be able to see what's going on up there. That's a, uh, that is, if you'll forgive the expression, a big 10-4. Uh, Mark is a, a huge advocate of um, uh, he would like to see mandatory participation, frankly, uh, from any manned aircraft who are uh, routinely uh, operating uh, below 400 feet. Uh, and uh, um, it's uh, he's been uh, uh, Mark and I have worked on a, on a couple of uh, uh, tasking groups, uh, and so he he's been a, a fantastic uh, advocate, and he is. Uh, retiring from the uh, Dallas PD, so uh, and he has a seat on the uh, the DAC, so we are 
uh, hopeful that uh, uh, he will continue uh, um, working on the deck, and the, and that would be and that's really good for us. Fair enough. I think I found the right link to the survey. Uh, Did you get it? I, uh, I grabbed that one from our other chat, so hopefully that's the right one. Yeah, I guess, and looks good. Oh. I, I just found it too. There we so go. For all manned aircraft required to have radios and ADSB, none of which are required in Class G. <clears throat> yes, it would. <clears throat> it would be nice. And the uh, the current ADSB out coverage, uh, and uh, so they called it ADSB 2020. And so the vision was that all uh, manned aircraft were supposed to have uh, ADSB out uh, as of January 1st, 2020. And this initiative was started in 2010. Uh, so it only took 10 years to roll out. And the coverage is approximately between 50 and 56%. And so there are uh, a number of um, exceptions and waivers. And so uh, it, it certainly would be nice. And, and this is a, uh, a stipulation that we, uh, that we get into or a discussion that we get into. Um, when the uh, uh, manned aviation groups are, are saying, well, UAS is the newcomer, you have to do detect and avoid all by yourself. We're not, you know, we don't want any participation and you have to figure this out. And so it, that does uh, uh, result in some heated discussion. So when the remote yeah. ID rules come out and there's only 50% participation from the drone pilots, does that mean we're we're doing good? <laughs> Well, uh, <clears throat> I mean, the one thing, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. One of the one of the aspects on the uh, on the survey that did surprise me is that um, both in commercial as well as recreational, uh, we give uh, the FAA the benefit of the doubt uh, every time, and so maybe we're just too nice, um, and so. We feel that the uh, the FAA will uh, uh, not be punitive if we're creating an infraction, and so uh, every chance we get, and this is uh, a point that uh, Brendan Schulman has been on, that if uh, if uh, we have unreasonable regulations, uh, we will see large scale noncompliance. And yeah, I totally we've agree echoed with that. that. Yeah, we've echoed that, in, you know, verbally as well as in our NPRM comments. What about yeah, France? I mean, they have our ID by Monday, but there are no units for sale. And six aren't even 100%. Yeah, well. well apparently, France is going to so, be in the same position we were, in which we couldn't fly in controlled <laughs> airspace for a couple of months. Yeah. It's sort of like how have we you, were supposed to have, have a ever, test, but it's not out yet. And I get right. questions have about that sold, all the time. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, have you ever sold product in, in France uh, from an international company? Not this week, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've had the pleasure. <laughs> so you know, one of the, one of the points that keeps coming to mind, um, and, and Dave, help me out with the numbers here. But in terms of total UAS flights, uh, what's the estimate between commercial UAS flights and hobbyists? You know, what's the ratio between hobbyist flights? You know. And I know this can't be, you know, it's not going to be an exact number, but what's, what's your guess? Seven, it's about seven to one. Um, recreational uh, being 
seven and one being commercial. So, you know, my thought, my thought here is, is, and, and some people have echoed this in, in, um, you know, chat here or on Facebook and, and whatnot is twofold. Number one, you know, if the regulations, if remote ID isn't, uh, easily achievable in terms of, uh, cost implementation, uh, devices, uh, you know, so on and so forth, as well as, um, well, from that perspective, um, it's it's not going to, I mean, we've, we've said it, it's not, you're going to have a lot of non-compliance. Um, right. There needs to be, you know, and, and again, we've talked about this before, there needs to be an incentive uh, for remote ID. So whether it's, you know, easy authorization of beyond visual line of sight in terms of real long range, uh, not just, you know, going behind a tree beyond visual line of sight. Um, and even more so, you know, in the current climate with what's going on uh, into politics and not to bring a bunch of politics, but, you know, how are they going to enforce it? Uh, you know, we've talked about this and I've, I've advocated that, you know, police can enforce this and they can utilize the LEAP program, which is the law enforcement assistance program. However, you know, in the current climate, what's the likelihood of that happening? You know, so... I just question the feasibility of the entire thing. Um, second to that, you know, watching the DAC meeting and watching all the other DAC meetings that have happened, you know, and, and I'm sure I can echo a lot of people and, and just echoing the comments on the YouTube video here um, is that, you know, no representation or little representation. Let me put it that way. Um, and, and very, uh, uh, placid representation, I guess, from a hobbyist perspective. I mean, really, we've got Brendan Shulman, who who actively advocates for the hobbyists, uh, I'm sure. Right. And was, know, was, was involved in ARC, Assure, the yep. ASTM work. Yeah, he's been here uh, and he's, since started. And he's awesome. I mean, I love Brendan. Um, he's definitely, you know, got that <laughs> front and center on his mind, you know. But uh, with the... Um, Current, uh, as they announced at the DAC meeting and, and actually shortly before, is that they are taking recommendations for five new seats. Um, so uh, I'm sure, you know, some of those seats, uh, I'm hoping that we can get filled in with some recreational folks. All five uh, of them. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, they when should. you have a seven, seven to one ratio of recreational flights versus commercial flights, you know, some of that should be and, represented. Yeah. But I'm sure some of the commercial 30. people would say the the reason is the regulations are getting in the way. They can't do flights right now. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I, I you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I'm saying these things, but, uh, you know, I, I just really feel uh, that, you know, we really need to, to push. And whether that's, you know, I, I've seen people wanting to recommend uh, Bixler. I definitely want to recommend Dave. Uh, he's been there doing the work. So I think, um, Dave, you, you definitely would uh, be favorable. Is the nomination eyes. process specifically for a person, or can it be an organization or a combination? It's an, it's, an in, it's for an individual. Okay. And so you, you, have, you come rep, uh, representing an organization and a constituency, 
uh, but I will, uh, um, I know, so. What if you get you fired all... from that organization or, or retire from it or, I don't know, well, it just seems strange. Potentially no, it why seem, seats are It doesn't opening. seem strange because we've got um, the chair of the uh, the DAC, uh, Michael, I always get his name mixed up, Clawson or Chasen? Uh, Michael but Chasen. He, Chasen was, um, uh, his job changed. And so you'll see that he's no longer the CEO of Precision Hawk. He's now the chair of the advisory board. So he is no longer a day-to-day -day employee of Precision Hawk. So it, it appears that um, uh, it, um, you know, they keep you on, at least for the two-year term, but it probably will impact your uh, renewal of, uh, of your seat. But I, I'm taking that sure. purely my own speculation and observations. Um, I also wanted to mention, as we're talking about remote ID, that uh, there, one of the gentlemen who they uh, introduced uh, as the designated federal officer that I have learned is a very important position on any advisory committee. And so he was the ranking executive in the room and stayed in the meeting throughout, and that was Dan Ewell. And Dan said, we are targeting December now, parenthetically, 2020, uh, for, to have to publish the final rule of remote ID. And so we all know that uh, the FAA is not necessarily great at making their dates. Uh, yet, uh, we remember last year, they said, well, we're going to get the uh, remote ID NPRM out uh, in 2019, and by gosh, they did. If, the, if I don't, re if I remember right, it was December 26. Yeah. So we want to be prepared uh, and uh, be able to respond uh, as quickly as we can. And um, this is why we feel that um, things like the protest that the uh, the UFDA uh, crew uh, hosted and ran on. Um, 28 February was um, uh, effective, and uh, we feel that the congressional push is also required as we uh, uh, potentially um, uh, go move toward a new administration. Um, and which, and if that happens, we'll see a uh, a change in the transportation secretary and very probably uh, a change in the number of the senior executives in the FAA. So, Dave, has anybody ever mentioned that FAA protest during any of your DAC meetings or dealings with people? The, only the communications people. They were. Um, it, they, it was obvious that it was uh, very much uh, uh, under uh, being discussed uh, during the um, February 27 uh, DAC, and of course, uh, the FAA closed their uh, their site uh, on the 28th, Friday the 28th. Right. So that. That, that cheered me up. So they, you know, they've they've not you know they they've not talked to me about it. They didn't bring it up in any open discussions. But it absolutely was a, a point of uh, a topic of communication inside the FAA at at the senior management level. Yeah, it, it's just you know I I'm what. It's, if they don't change anything, they'll be able to make it today. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then so, why not just yeah. release it today? Yeah. You know, yeah it was also, it was also interesting and a little picky, but uh, Dan Ewell said, well, we're reviewing 
the 53,000 comments. And of course, back um, now, several months ago, Jay Merkel said, we have completed the review of all 53,000 uh, comments on the NPRM. So I'm, I'm sure it was a, a slip of the tongue with uh, Dan because Jay Merkel is uh, on, on top of this with precision. So my question is reading the room, you know, with the people that you've had dealings with and, and whatnot, what's your thought on, you know, the course of remote ID? Do you have any thoughts on where it's headed? You know, do you see change? Do you not see change? I, I'm hoping that what we'll see is a uh, an acceptance that there's a, uh, a division um, uh, between line of sight and beyond visual line of sight. And that if it's beyond visual line of sight, that much of the equipment and the regulations that we saw in the uh, remote ID NPRM uh, will be put in place for beyond visual line of sight. I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to, um, uh, to, to see something that is a line of sight. So Bruce is saying that RID is beta complete. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, the real money's made the industry and the provision of UTMs. Or, well, I don't know about. I wouldn't. Um, I don't. You know, I don't think UTM is a money maker. There's not a lot of margin in, U, in the UTM. So, I mean, so having come from uh, global tech um, and sitting in on con and working on ConOps V2. Uh, once again, the FAA is looking to outsource, and by outsource, uh, I mean looking to uh, private companies to pick up the ball and run with the uh, remote ID USS. And so those are the service support or service suppliers that would be a federation of, if you will, companies that run an air traffic management or air traffic control for for UAS across the United States. So technologically non-trivial uh, and not uh, it's it's not so easy to make money uh, on on something like that. So we'll see uh, what happens. And, and I think the there's a good appreciation that they they can't charge themselves out of existence. Uh, so the FAA does not want to subsidize uh, these organizations, uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, uh, viable, you know, even at a at a low price to be a high margin uh, business given the infrastructure that's uh, that's required. So to me, to me, some of the money will be in uh, niche um, cargo and delivery. That, that to me is where the uh, uh, where the money is going to uh, be, and those companies scare scare me from a perspective of they have no interest in uh, recreation, and notably that's Amazon. Well, the other thing, don't forget, Amazon has incredible web services. That's where most of their money's made right now. AWS. If, yes. Yeah. The the uh, the cloud more than more than web services cloud. Well, okay, so let's say Amazon gets involved with the UTM system. Can well, they, they remain unbiased with their system with anyone else involved? Like translation, are they going to be able to see what their competitors are doing more so than what is publicly available when you register and you're supposed to get the, the correct information? I mean, they're going to have information from everything in this system, right? 
if they're, if they're running not it. necessarily and this and so this is what's in the um uh it's called a um what is it, the faa information management system and so it's an it's not well specced or and it's not well defined and so th this is one of the aspects that I, I don't see the UTM happening uh, very quickly, uh, but it it's not it does not appear that that one um, RSS could have uh, any access uh, uh, of information into another RSS, and so it's things like well. Will there be a single registration? And so that if I fly across the boundary, you know, I have a single uh, identifier, you know, even if it's a, a pseudo uh, identifier that's uh, notified in the database, they've not, they've not settled that yet. So, I mean, it's such fundamentals that they, uh, they re really haven't thought through, but it does not appear that there is a, uh, there's no uh, financial, there's no size, there does not appear to be a lot of access to data peer-to-peer -peer across our um, SS to RSS. Great question. So, you know, I just wanted to touch on something Bruce said. You know, they can charge whatever they want because the regs make a UTM mandatory. And then below, uh, exactly the money is in the provision of services. So two things I would say uh, that kind of will mitigate that. Number one, there's going to be multiple USSs so, or UTMs uh, or one UTM, multiple USSs. So your service suppliers, um, you know, number one, that creates a competitive environment. Uh, they're going to be competing for customers. So you don't want to price, you'll have kind of the, the standard capitalism uh, price war happening in order to secure, you know, as well as what the service provides. Second to that is going to be the same problem that I mentioned earlier with remote ID is that if it's, if you price it um, too high, you're not going to have compliance. So again, that goes into the, the, the cost of remote ID, you know, itself. Um, is it easy to implement? Is it cheap? Um, or at least cost you know, doesn't price people out of the hobby or or the uh, the industry. Um, and what what kind of benefit does it offer? You know, so those are the kind of a you know kind of the things that that uh, will will keep the price I think competitive at least. I don't know. That's just my general assumption. Um, just a thought on that. So. Yeah, and the the amount of automation that's required in each. So any company that is a big software developer will have a, a leg up because uh, as this as a UTM uh, or as an RSS scales, um, it it has to be automated in order to be profitable as it scales. Because um, while service provisioning can be lucrative from uh, a revenue generation, it is not necessarily profitable uh, if you don't scale very efficiently. I don't mean to be going off the deep end here on. <laughs> <clears throat> Public cloud adoption. Yep. ABM cloud, look at that. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, I mean, 
they can they can it but again you know there's each each different cloud option you know there each one of them provides different benefits um so you know obviously aws is probably going to offer the most benefits um so uh just a thought there but um and I would agree with XJet. You know, I, I would say that infrastructure, you know, two part. I would say they probably are somewhat interested in delivery drones, but building the infrastructure to create a UTM similar to their AWS is going to be a big push for them. I would definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, I don't. I don't think Amazon is terribly interested in the RSS. I think they're interested in providing everyone the software that's going to run it. That's where it gets lucrative. Yeah. So Google's is in every game. <laughs> Let's just be real. <laughs> they own the game. Um, so yeah, just some thoughts on, on remote ID. Uh, thank you, Dave, for your insight and uh, what's going on with the DAC. Um, I do encourage, let me drop the link to the DAC meeting in case uh, somebody wants to watch that, I will drop it in here. Um, so uh, I will say that uh, Brendan did a stand-up job as usual uh, supporting the hobby and uh, do pass along my thanks to him. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, any other questions or things that you would like us to touch on this evening? We have about 14 minutes uh, before I give you back your evening. Anybody? Bruce, how are things going with your CASA over there? With CAA, yeah. Interesting. Or CAA, yeah. The one week investigation moves into its fourth week. Oh, um, hey. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it sounds like with this current human malware problem, I can't find enough rope to hang me. So they've had to import some, and, and shipments are really slow at this time of the year. So we're just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's good to hear uh, that the CAA hits their deadlines as well as the FAA does. <laughs> the thing that really concerned me most was that the ins the investigator I was talking to was completely unaware that drones and model aircraft were subject to exactly the same rules. He thought there'd be different rules for model aircraft. He thought drones had their own set of rules. And this is the guy that's investigating me into my breach potential breaches of the regulations, but he doesn't know the regulations and that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Yeah, that, when you have to train the person who's investigating you, that uh, that doesn't bode well, I'd imagine. Oh, and the real bottom line is going to be: is this about safety or compliance? That's why I've sort of been I've been sort of trolling them a bit and baiting them a bit because I want to know: are they interested in safety or are they interested in compliance? Because they're not one and the same thing. And I think the issue of safety should always trump the issue of compliance. And I I'm, I want to make a point out of this and. Nobody knows what's happening, and they you know the rules here are quite overreaching in some cases. Like you got to get permission of property owners to fly over property, uh, whereas you can fly a 172 over the same property without any permission whatsoever. We've got good bits. We've got the shielded operation, which is is fine. But interestingly enough, you can fly a shielded operation beside our biggest international airport. Can't fly it beside a military base, a, a, um, a you know, air force military uh, runway. So. What is the purpose? Is it about safety or is it about something else? And so there's too much 
wavering going on and our regulations came out five years ago and have not been updated during that time technology has advanced amazingly i mean maybe the need to have a spotter with the old analog gear and a sd camera with crappy 5.8 analog video was a thing but these days with dji digital you have hd vision in your eyes with a massive field of view you are much better equipped to fly without a spotter than you used to be but the regulations don't even take that into consideration because they're half a decade out of date well i mean here's the thing is is i don't think right now as a as of right now i don't think any regulation can be slated towards enhancing safety on something that has a perfect safety record uh, I, I you know now can it be preventative yes but you know i don't see why you know one would cite safety as a, a means to crack down on basically featuring more regulations so you know it's just, it's about something else. I would say it's more about risk mitigation in terms of security would be my my ultimate guess in terms of potential yeah. threats and, and whatnot. I hear that. And like in, in Europe, if you've got a camera on your drone, you have to be registered. If, if it's 250, you don't have a camera, you don't. But the security thing is, why aren't we also looking at a Nikon P1000s. I can sit on a hill. I can peer in people's backyards. I can peer in their bedroom windows with a camera. They don't even know I'm there. I can peer into sensitive military installations by finding the right hill. I can fly a 172 over them and they won't know what's going on. So this, they're trying to find reasons to create regulation and that's not the right way to do it. You, you It's all out of sync. And I look at it, I fly a sub-250 drone uh, I, I'm in full control all the time. And if something goes wrong, it falls to the ground. And even if it hits someone, it's not going to hurt them. But that has to be strictly regulated. Yet in exactly the same space, I can take a football, kick it at 60, 70 miles an hour, hit someone in the head and really injure them. But that's not regulated. I can do that freely, but I can't fly my little drone in the same place. There are, there are um, agendas going on here. It's partly ignorance, but it's also agenda. There are many things happening not for reasons of safety. And I get really annoyed when we're lied to about the justification for these regulations. Oh, it's all about safety or security. No, I think there are commercial imperatives going on here and they need to be disclosed. Otherwise it's, it's just a, it's a fraud. Mm -hmm. I've got a 30 foot pole for getting drones out of a tree that I put a GoPro on. I can just walk around with that. <laughs> you don't need you should say that. I, I did that. I did that and I got told off, oh, you're flying a drone dangerously until I actually showed the back footage which had a Mobius on a big long stick. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that I, I've noticed a lot of, uh, there was one news article, I didn't, you know, bring it in for tonight, but um, was on uh, a new, uh, basically, U.S. government taking possession of uh, some anti-drone technology basically you know are essentially an rf spammer that that breaks the rf connection from a drone to the controller um and the funny thing that they cite that the the company cites is that it instigates a return to home or uh forces the aircraft to land and the the funny part is is what are they you know are they testing these on exclusively like you know, commercial off the shelf that has returned to home as a normal function. You know, let's say they employ that on somebody who's flying an FPV aircraft. Um, and, you know, what's it going to do? It's going to fail safe. It's going to drop, you know, below no matter who's down there, car, person, dog, you know, cat, whatever. If you're lucky, so, it, it flies straight into the person who's jamming it. 
right? You know, the other thing too is someone's going to do something nefarious. They're going to just program a mission into Pilot, and there's not going to be any RF links involved. They won't even have FPV cameras, so they right. won't be able to detect it using these RF sensing things. And it doesn't matter how much 2.4 or 5.8 gigs you blast at it, it's not going to care. No, no, not at all. So it's pretty interesting, uh, these uh, anti-drone technologies that are being deployed right now. So um, this is this is one thing. Notice how much money is going into these anti-drone technology oh, companies yeah. like D-Drone. And this is mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. There. there is so much venture capital being plowed into these companies that do a 3D rendering of some futuristic looking passenger carrying drone and people throw millions at them and other companies that promise this, that and the other. There's going to be like there was the dot com crash. We're going to have the drone crash when all these investors start saying, where's our money? Is our return and the drone companies say, uh, well, not yet, not yet. And at the moment, they've been using lack of regulation means we can't do what we need to do. When these regulations come into force and there is no reason why they shouldn't be delivering on promises, I think there's going to be a lot of really angry investors and a lot of failed companies. Yep. I but would... failed, failed companies in, in what, Bruce? And where well, do you, where do you think these VCs are going to buy in? Drone delivery, for example, it's never going to be a viable thing. The economics don't stack up. That You know, the one flight and then having to put a new battery in and the size and so forth. And if you look at the UK, they've got a place called Milton Keynes, and I've got these little robots that trundle around the streets because they have cycleways that connect the whole town. They've got ground-based vehicles. They can carry much greater loads. If something goes wrong, they just stop and no one gets hurt. And they're already doing massive deliveries all over Milton Keynes. We've got Tesla with their auto drive cars, and that's only a step away from having completely autom automatic or autonomous vehicles that will just drive around. You'll be sitting in your home, you'll get a text that says, you have a package arriving in five minutes, here's your pin code. You walk out to the sidewalk, uh, the autonomous vehicle pulls up, you enter your pin code, a door opens, you take your package out. That's drone delivery. It's nothing to do with flying. It's going to be on the ground because safety and practicality in the economy dictates that. Or a combination yeah. of the two. In the United States, yeah, we've I been think... seeing trucks that have like a drone on top. So they complete like the last mile deliveries in rural areas. And the truck right. obviously is nearby and it's like almost semi-autonomous behavior. It was right. interesting during the, the lockdown period, um, one of the guys that was doing practicing, were doing these drone delivery things, was interviewed and he said, it's not the last mile, it's a problem. It's the last 10 feet. Because if you're landing in someone's backyard, you've got trees and shrubs and bushes and people with poles wanting to steal your drone. And it, ultimately, vehicular delivery is, is going to be the way to do it. You, you cannot deliver a pizza for less than the price of a pizza. You all got too many damn poles. That's the thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think that, you know, there was a article I posted. Oh, man, it was probably a couple meetings ago that said in rural areas, drone delivery makes sense in in heavily populated, populated like metropolis areas, you know, New York City, Chicago, Phoenix, it, it makes less sense because um, there's there's too much stuff in the way. There's um, uh, too much navigation, too much, you know, everything. Whereas, you know, a straight flight out and back, you know, as the bird flies is, is much more efficient. That doesn't mean it's going to take off, but, you know, there there have been instances, especially during, you know, the the, the COVID, where you know they are delivering, um, uh, you know, blood samples and tests and and whatnot, but you know it, it's been an interesting period for that kind of testing. Um, and and then I know there are, uh, um, there's a company and I forget the their name. They're in Africa. They they've been zipline. Um, Zip? Yes, zipline. Thank yeah. you. 
they've been delivering vaccines, but they're using uh, fixed wing uh, to do that, and they're deploying, you know, obviously flying over and, and deploying via parachute those those vaccines, and then the you know the fixed wing UAV cycles back and and is captured back at home base. So. Yeah. Uh, it will but, be specific uh, cases where this is yes. viable and practical, but the, the concept that's being sold to investors and the public is that, you know, you'll call a pizza, it'll be delivered by drone, you'll order something from Amazon, it'll arrive by drone in your backyard. That, that just is not, not going to happen no, any time no, in I our think, lifetimes. I think, I think there, the use case for, to make it uh, profitable is going to be, you know, is it extremely time sensitive? Is it a low you know, weight and payload? Uh, or is it extremely difficult to get to so that you know, it behooves you to use you know something that's airborne as opposed to uh, yeah. using you know using a boat uh, you know a car a truck you know multiple yeah, modes to to get to an a 30, island a 30 a, a, you know, a 30 cent slingshot will accomplish all that <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, I, I would agree. I would think it, you know, time sensitive to me seems like the most applicable uh, category for, you know, the means test. So, you know, things like vaccine delivery, uh, maybe transplant delivery. Yeah, well, that's uh, another know, one organ, because but... the, the organ movement has been touted as, oh, this is going to be, you know, getting a heart or a kidney. But hang on a minute. All hospitals have helipads and we have helicopters and you're going to take it from one hospital to another. So why would you use a drone when you've got the technology there already and, it, and it's safe and reliable and proven? And it's well, not going to be any I, I would say the, 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 the means test would be cost. You know, you can operate yeah. a drone for much, much less than you can for a helicopter. So yeah, in, and I, in Switzerland, where they were trying that, though, they canceled that test program because the drones crashed. Hmm. Well, uh, again, I would say as technology gets more reliable, it would be an appropriate, let me put it that way, it would be an appropriate use of the technology. You know, the same reason that a lot of people are using drones in uh, uh in movies uh, definitely you can you can get in tighter shots you can you can do different things with the drone but the cost of hiring a helicopter and a pilot and the, and the jet fuel and and everything else you know saves money for other aspects of the production and the so, safety as well the safety of drone. drone operations are always going to be safer because anytime you lift someone off the ground you put their life in danger yep. the other thing is these, these urban mobility passenger drones basically seriously i'm not getting in any flying machine where the pilot is still on the ground <laughs> uh, i think i saw something uh where i it was was it india or somebody that they, they have a police uh quadcopter bike kind of thing and it crashed the other it day was dubai. Was... Yeah, yeah. Was <laughs> you know what happened he switched it to rape mode <laughs> that's awesome so at any rate uh definitely a interesting conversation um It'll be interesting to see where this goes. I just, you know, I, I don't want to see this hobby die. Um, I don't want to see it regulated to death. Um, I just feel like, you know, and, and I'm sure most of you here would agree that, you know, when it comes to the DAC, you know, we need some better hobbyist representation because hobbyists do make up most of the flights. Um, and, you know, that kind of consideration, I think, would go a long way. Um, as well as, you know, it seems like, that you know the DIC makes recommendations and they go nowhere, so that that's kind of tough to watch sometimes too. So, uh, be interesting to see some better buy-in from the FAA on something that they're they're touting as as you know 
it was the difference between necessary. the CA, DAC and the uh, CDA is just the arrangement of the letters, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah, it feels that way. But at any rate, uh, with that note, if there's anybody have any other questions, comments, concerns, ideas. All right. Good meeting tonight, guys. I appreciate all the feedback and uh, the questions and the comments. Uh, definitely uh, always welcome. So uh, on that note, I will see you guys next meeting and reach out if you have any questions. Thank you all. Take care. Have a good evening.